right now for our Auto Club NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, we are going to uh, start off in our first half hour with some short track news, and then we'll give you some updates from the Arkham and Arts East and West Series along with the NASCAR Truck Series. At the top of the hour, we'll preview the NASCAR Xfinity and Cup Series at Auto Club Speedway, and then uh, at the bottom of this, that hour, we will stay tuned for our NASCAR Hot Topics Sound Off discussion with our fan for racing crew. So joining me for tonight's show is our co-host once again, and that is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Well, the buildup and excitement of Daytona has passed, but now we get to digest everything that happened, and the excitement for the rest of the season is building as we head out to Auto Club uh, that we're getting ready to talk about. So a lot still going on when it comes to racing, especially with the uh, Cup Series and Xfinity Series. Yes, indeed. A lot of people feel that uh, the season doesn't really begin until after Daytona. So that's where we are right now. Uh, Please bear with me. I do still have my head cold, and uh, it just doesn't seem to want to let go. So I apologize, but uh, I'm sure we'll make the best of it here tonight. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I know I thought it sounded like it was getting better the other night. (laughs) Yeah, but I feel like when it gets to be nighttime for some reason, it seems like I take a setback. Okay, but let's go ahead and get started. We're going to head over to Racing America because uh, that is one of the two websites that we uh, rely on heavily for our short track news. And uh, there's just so much going on in the uh, short track arena that uh, we want to make sure we keep everybody up to date. One of the big things is that some of the NASCAR Truck Series stars are some of the early entries for the ASA Stars debut. So Ty Majeski, <laughs> excuse me, Carson Hosevar, and Grant Tingfinger are among those entries for the March 11th race at Five Flags Speedway. And that's exciting news. Uh, we talk about it normally when I refer to cup stars going down to the Xfinity or trucks, but here you have some that are at the top three from the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Um, Going back to the super light model races, especially Five Flags Speedway, we know with the Snowball Derby, how huge that is, but just another uh, ASA Stars debut. Um, Grant Enfinger, I know it's one of those, he kind of has multiple home tracks, but I know that he considers that a home track. So uh, great to see these guys take that time to go race there and bring attention to that race as well as that track. Absolutely, absolutely so. I know a lot of fans that are in that area are going to want to be there when these guys take to the track. Another uh, interesting highlight here is they've got a video of uh, last night's bullring with uh, Greg Van Alt, the Arkham and Art Series winner at Daytona. And that's one I would highly recommend. I know we played uh, one clip of the audio on Monday night with our race review. I can't wait till we get to have him here on the show again this season. Um, but go back and listen to it. I mean, that story, that, that story doesn't get old. I don't care how many times it gets cold. That story <laughs> doesn't get old and still thrills me. It does indeed. In fact, 
we do have Greg Van Alst scheduled to be on our show this coming Monday night. So uh, if you want to hear from the Daytona champion or the Daytona winner from the Arkham Menard series, Greg Van Alst, he will be on our show this coming Monday night, February the 27th. Well, Sharon, uh, quick, if I can get special permission. I know Sal should be back uh, and heard yet on that, but I'm going to make a request if I can call in and talk to him just for a little bit because uh, I'm so thrilled for him. I, I'd really like to talk to him and get at least one question in. Okay, we'll see if we can make that happen, Jay. Uh, also, uh, there's uh, 25 teams that are entered in the Pro Late Model Showcase that's going to be at the historic half mile in in uh, Alabama, that's Montgomery Speedway. It's the 59th Alabama 200 is going to kick off their season. And this this is one that, uh, again, the prestige, uh, kind of gone away a little bit, and I'll, I'll talk to Sharon about this offline, something we can maybe do with the uh, track promoter there. But it's still there. And I look looking through some, the history of some of the drivers that have won this, to include Richard Petty, Bobby Allison, and Chase Elliott. So you know that it's a, it's a big event in that area, especially for some of NASCAR's top stars. So you've got to look at this of who these stars are and who they may become. Um, I appreciate Racing America. I believe they're going to have coverage. I don't know if it'll be live coverage or not. We'll have to wait and see as that gets closer. But uh, it's cool that it's being covered anyway via this site. Exactly right. I'm going to head over to Flow Racing now, Jay, because we've only got about four minutes left in our segment here for tonight. But there are a lot of great uh, pieces that are over here as well, uh, some podcast uh, uh, moments as well as key moments in the World Series of Asphalt that took place at uh, New Smyrna Speedway. Uh, a lot of the drivers and uh, Matt Westfall is running full-time with the USAC National Sprint Cars, and he does his own podcast on the Loud Pedal podcast. So you can hear uh, an episode of that uh, over at Flow Racing. And then you've got James Essex, who's reflecting on the legendary announcing career that he had in the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series. So uh, really some real grassroots things that are happening over at Flow Racing. And this is one I know we talk about every week, and it may seem like it's a, a partnership or even a, a paid sponsorship. It's not. That is just the amount of information they have, the different races they bring. You talk about that with the USAC sprint cars. Then you go over to James Essex, who uh, obviously I'm familiar with as an announcer. I Looking at back and what you can learn from him just going through the, that article, um, if you ever get the yeah. chance to talk to him, it's even better. But. The, the fact that they bring in all angles, uh, not just all races, but all angles, uh, you know, coming from an announcer, we've, we've had ones on spotters, we've had ones on crewmen, the, the package, total package they bring and the amount they cover is just unbelievable. Yes, indeed. Another uh, highlight for me over here was the Legends of Racing, the Buttenhausens, uh, and it's the first installment of Flow Racing's Legends of Racing Spotlights the triumph and tragedy of the Bettenhouse family and the pursuit of racing immortality. Uh, it's about an hour and a half long, but uh, I tell you what, it's going to be well worth the listen. And that there again highlights my point. Another aspect of it, of 
tying in from young race fans, getting to know their drivers and who's up and coming, but also for those that have been race fans for a while, the, the history um, of it and both drivers as tracks. I know Dale Jr. likes to do it about tracks to bring it to all levels of fans, whether you've been a longtime fan, the, uh, I'm trying to think of what they, where are they now segments that we see, you know, are always interesting. I know Sharon, you and I both really enjoy those. (laughs) Yeah, they are fun. Now, real quick, before we go on to our next segment here, uh, new Smyrna Speedway, obviously that's the way I pronounce it. How do you pronounce it, Jay? Is it Smyrna or is it new Smyrna? Wow, when I get to put on the spot, i got to think about these things. I would just say New Smyrna, uh, if I were quick off the top of my head. But that's one of those, I know when somebody asks you that and puts you on the spot, then you kind of stumble through it and you're like, I don't even know how I say it. But, no, I would say New well, Smyrna. There's, there's a, a real quick little video. It's only about uh, six and a half minutes long or a little longer. And it says, uh, why the heck can't people pronounce New Smyrna Speedway? Uh, so... <laughs> it, that, that, that's a fun one if you want to listen to that. Okay. Well, I said to cover things from different topics and ranges. Uh, that one goes to the top of the list. I haven't seen that yet. I'll have to look at it and watch it. <laughs> okay. We're going to move on now to the Arkham Menard series. Uh, they're not racing this weekend, but they will be racing again on March the 10th for the General Tire 150 out at Phoenix Raceway, and joining them will be the Arkham and Art Series West group. Uh, that will be televised on Fox Sports 2, so uh, we'll get to see the Arca West open up their season out of Phoenix Raceway here in a week or so. Super excited about that. Again, it's the start of the West Series. There's a couple of stories up when it comes to that, and I know we'll do more on next week's preview when it comes to that. A couple articles here if you're on the uh, Arkham Menards homepage, again, highlighting Greg Van Alt's victory, uh, both the interview from Daytona, and he won the Sweet Move of the Race, uh, Reese's Sweet Move of the Race uh, award as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then they've got the Victory Lane interview from Daytona from Greg Van Alst as well. Uh, it was kind of fun because he just couldn't believe. He says, a guy like me is not supposed to be here. But uh, he certainly deserves to be there. Another highlight here uh, with Rev Racing for the West Series, Sebastian Airy is going to team up with them for two races. And I'm trying to pull it up and see if it tells us the exact two races. Um, I think it does. There you go. Uh, Sonoma Raceway in June and then the Phoenix Raceway uh, in November to wrap up the season. So uh, for Rev Racing, the commitment they have, we've seen it in the East. They're now in the Truck Series, but also helping out on the West Series and accommodating uh, Sebastian Aries. So I think that is awesome to see. Also, if you're wondering where you can go to watch these Arca Menard Series races, as well as the Wheelin Modified Tour uh, the ARCA East and the ARCA West, uh, you get, there is a schedule uh, that's listed that shows you where you can watch those races. They have a deal this year uh, with NASCAR and NBC Sports uh, to provide grassroots racing coverage on CNBC this year. Uh, so you'll want to check that out because what they'll do is have the tape delay coverage of every race from the Arkham Art Series East and West, 
except those that are combined events with the Arkham Menard series. Uh, so also, the like I said, the wheel and modified tour races and uh, are included in that. So that's pretty good news for uh, race fans as well. And then you can always watch it at Flow Racing if you're a subscriber there. And that's one of those things. You've got you to gotta applaud NASCAR. I know a lot of times as fans, uh, myself included, we talk about the things we don't like and, and see NASCAR doing. This is one where they heard the fans and they listened and they focus on grassroots racing. Sorry. And the packages they're putting together with this deal with uh, NBC um, Sports to work together to bring that to fans. You know, you had Mav TV, Flow Racing, Racing America, now NBC Sports with their CNBC. Um, tells you that there are things that NASCAR is looking at. And again, they can't always just fix something on, on the spot. But if they have a way they can bring it to the fans and, and give the fans what they're asking for, they try to. Absolutely. And to, speaking of that, uh, and New Smyrna Speedway, going back to that, uh, I really miss the ARCA East having their season opener out at uh, New Smyrna Speedway. And uh, this year it's actually going to be a little bit later than usual, and it's going to be at Five Flags Speedway instead of New Smyrna. So that's a big change in the Arkham and Art Series East. That race is going to be on March the 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern time, and it will be available, as we mentioned earlier, if you want to watch it live, it's going to be available at Flow Racing. And, of course, there will be the tape-delayed broadcast that will be on CNBC. And we've gone through this with many things. I think we'll get a touch on it in Hot Topics with Auto Club Speedway. As they do try to accommodate new things the fans want, sometimes other things have to be let go. And I know that's just as tough. So you've got to find that balance. Um, you're right. I, I definitely miss that with New Smyrna being the season opener. Um, the Five Flags has kind of, I want to say, earned that right of, of to have that spot. Um, but there's other bigger things in motion there that maybe we don't see yet. So we've got to be able to trust in NASCAR and ride with it. Uh, you know, Sharon, I know Chicagoland is a big one for you that, that when that went away. Well, now we have the Chicago Street Race. So, you know, finding that balance and, and accepting getting new, but you've got to let go of some old then too. Okay. Now one last thing before we move on to the truck series is I want to point out, if you're wondering when the next Arkham and Art Series race is and where you can watch it, they have the full broadcast schedule for the Arca Menard Series, the Arca East, and the Arca West uh, at the ArcaRacing.com website. Uh, it's, a, it's a header. It says broadcast uh, to the far right, and uh, that's where you can get all of that information. And not just uh, the TV channel, but the live stream where it's available, as well as racing and audio content. So uh, just uh, just know that all that information is available uh, for all race fans. Okay, I'm going to move on now, Jay, uh, over to the uh, NASCAR news and notes for the uh, some updates from the Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, they are not racing this weekend, but they will be racing the Victoria's Voice Foundation 200 presented by Westgate Resorts uh, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Friday, March the 3rd. That will take place at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 
starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They will, uh, we will cover more of those details uh, when we do the preview of that race, uh, but we're going to give you a few updates now. So the next stop at Sin City, Jay. Well, in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, we'll have the week to go over what they learned at the season opener in Daytona and hopefully apply it to their next race there at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Friday, March uh, 3rd. Um, There's been 30 truck series races at Las Vegas, at the Las Vegas track, and that's produced 25, 25 of 30 different race winners, as well as 21 different pole winners. Uh, So that's pretty impressive. Now, nine races have been won from the pole or that first starting position, most recently uh, Kyle Busch in 2019. Kyle holds a couple of records in the truck series at the Nevada track, including the qualifying record with a speed of 178.903 miles per hour back in 2019, and sits as the winningest driver with three victories of 2018, 19, and 20. Now, fans saw Chandler Smith fight his way to victory lane after battling it out with his team owner, Kyle Busch, who ultimately posted a runner-up finish there last year. Smith led 32 laps, while Kyle Busch led 31 Interesting note, Kyle Busch, and I believe this is one of his truck races, will be in the Chevrolet KBM team. Uh, it, it, it's not, uh, okay, is it still Kyle Busch Motorsports? I was thinking they changed the name. They've changed so many of the team names now, I'm confused. <laughs> but no, I think, I think that, that one, is. they changed manufacturers to Chevrolet, but I think they stayed with KBM as far as the name. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Okay, now let's take a look at the Sunoco rookie class uh, because, actually, they learned a lot out at Daytona. Uh, Daytona has a reputation for being a wild card and tough racing with unexpected finishes, and last weekend's uh, truck series race was no exception. Of the rookies, only one made it to the end of the race, and that was Nick Sanchez, who also won the pole for the truck series debut. He finished 26th and is leading the rookie class at 24 points. Roger Carruth also made his Daytona debut and in the National Series and fell victim to a crash on lap 57. He finished 29th and sits in second in the rookie standings. Just one point behind Carruth, though, is Daniel Dye, who made his Truck Series debut. And like his fellow rookie contender, Carruth also fell victim to a crash and he finished the race in 30th. Rounding out the rookie class is Brett Holmes, whose race was cut short, leaving him in 31st. So uh, a lot of things were learned by those drivers out at Daytona, and now uh, the learning process continues uh, for all of those rookies. We'll see who prevails by the uh, second half of the season. Well, one thing we learned as far as fans is Zane Smith has got some serious talent as he does it again. Driving for Front Row Motorsports, he's carrying over the momentum from last season. After winning the season over in Daytona in 2022 and eventually becoming the 2022 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion, he found victory lane once again at Daytona to kick off the 2023 season. With that victory, Smith became the second driver in track series, truck series history to post back-to-back wins at the iconic Daytona track, 
the first being Todd Bodine, who did it in 2008 and 2009. Now, Smith has this week to soak up his win before heading to Las Vegas Motor Speedway in hopes of taking the checkered flag and becoming what would be the fourth driver in NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series history to post back-to-back wins to start the season. Now we put him on a list with Mark Martin, uh, who did it in 2006 at Daytona Auto Club. Johnny Sauter did it in 2013 when it was in Daytona and then Martinsville. And Ben Rhodes in 2021 did it twice at Daytona, uh, first on the big track and then on the road course. And it was during the COVID year where they put the road Daytona road course in. So, again, he's trying to put his name on a short list of people there. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, now the Xfinity Series is racing this weekend out at uh, Auto Club Speedway. <laughs> Excuse me. They'll be racing the Alliance Group 300 on Saturday, February the 25th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Coverage will start on Fox Sports 1 starting at 4 p.m. and radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing the distance of 300 miles over 150 laps. First two stages are 35 laps each, stage one ending on lap 35, stage two on lap 70, and the final stage will end on lap 150, the last lap of the race. So what do we have in the Xfinity Series, Jay? Well, this is actually a little bit lower than what I thought it might be, but we got a pair of Cup Series drivers doing double duty this weekend. Going to get some extra track time this weekend at Auto Club Speedway. That'd be Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick. Dillon will be behind the wheel of the number 10 Colleg Racing Chevrolet in the Xfinity Series. He's made five starts at the California track in the Xfinity Series, and he's posted one win in 2016 along with four top fives and four top tens. Uh, Reddick, on the other hand, sliding a little bit away from uh, last year, he's going to pilot the number 24 Toyota for Sam Hunt Racing. He's made two, six, two Xfinity Series starts at Auto Clubs, picking up a top five as well as two top tens, and winning the pole there in 2019. Okay, we're going to look at the rookies here in the Xfinity Series, and how did they do? After an impressive top-five finish at Daytona uh, in a debut, Jordan Anderson Racing's Parker Retzlaff finds himself second in the Rookie of the Year standings. He's just one point behind Chandler Smith, who finished the race in 12th, and heads into the weekend leading the rookie class with 34 points. Smith earned the additional points to surpass Retzlaff in the standings by finishing second in the first stage at Daytona. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing Sammy Smith finished 19, while Blaine Perkins fell victim to a crash early in the race on lap 19 and finished in 37th. All four drivers are making their Xfinity Series debut this weekend at Auto Club Speedway, so it'll be fun to see what they do. Well, another four that are going to be ready for Auto Club is Junior Motorsports. Uh, Last season at Auto Club Speedway, there was one team in particular that stood out at the two-mile oval, and that's Junior Motorsports. All four drivers finished within the top ten at the second race of the year, and now they come back with the hope of landing themselves in victory lane. Now, with Noah Gregson now competing full-time in the NASCAR Cup Series, 
It's going to be Brandon Jones sitting behind the wheel of the number nine Chevrolet, and he's sure to join his teammates in finding success at the California track. Although Jones fell victim to a crash last season at Auto Club, he started the race in the third position and won the pole in 2020, proving he can hit his marks and find his way around the track. In six starts, he's posted two top tens and led a total of 76 laps. On Josh Berry and Sam Mayer, they'll be making only their second start each at Auto Club Speedway, while veteran Justin Algar, he's got 13 under his belt, and he's got one top five and seven top tens. So look for uh, JRM to be extremely strong this weekend. Okay. All the drivers are going back to Cali, and Auto Club Speedway is up next. After an action-packed race to kick off the season, the Xfinity Series is making its way to the West Coast to keep the momentum flowing. Drivers will take the grid for the Production Alliance 300 on Saturday, and uh, this will be the 33rd Xfinity Series race at Auto Club Speedway. The previous 32 produced 18 different race winners and 21 different pole winners. Five races actually have been won from the pole or the first starting spot. Most recently, Kyle Busch did it in 2013. That was, what, 10 years ago, so that'll be interesting. Joy Logano leads the Xfinity Series in poles at Auto Club Speedway with four. He That was in 2009, 10, 12, and 13, while Kyle Busch leads the Xfinity Series at Fontana, California, at the Fontana, California track in wins with six in 2008, 9, 10, a sweep in 11 and 13. Two former winners are entered in this weekend's uh, Production Alliance 300. Full-time driver Cole Custer won there in 2019 and uh, 22, and NASCAR Cup Series regular Austin Dillon one in 2016, and he's going to be behind the wheel of the number 10 Chicago Racing Chevrolet. Now, they will be holding their practice at 12.05 p.m. ET, followed by qualifying on 12.35 p.m. ET on Saturday, February 25th, and that will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So uh, watch for that uh, session there. When as we come out of Daytona, it was Richard Childress Racing's Austin Hill. It was another one, just like Zane Smith, went back-to-back at Daytona. Now, it seems that Richard Childress Racing's Austin Hill made himself very comfortable in victory lane at Daytona International Speedway as he won that second consecutive season opener in the NASCAR Xfinity Series in a dramatic overtime finish. Not only does he have the two Daytona wins under his belt in the Xfinity Series, but he also won the season opener in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series in 2019 at the 2.5-mile track. His wins make him one of only four drivers to have Daytona wins in both the Xfinity and Truck Series, and that puts him on the list with Kyle Busch, Tyler Reddick, and Mike Wallace. Now, with his win uh, last weekend, Hill once again will have the opportunity to become the fourth different driver to win the first two races of the Xfinity Series season, and that would put him with Tony Stewart, who did it in 2008, Daytona and Auto Club. Uh, here's the history, man. I love this. Chad Little in 1995, and it was at Daytona, then Rockingham, 
Dale Earnhardt did it in 1986, which it was Daytona and Rockingham as well. Now, last season, he started his race at Auto Club in the eighth position, but unfortunately finished 27th. A highlight, John Hunter Nemechek, he's running his first full-time season in the Xfinity Series since 2019. He finished runner-up while Xfinity Series veteran Justin Algar finished in third. I mentioned Yoki Parker Retzlaff and Myatt Snyder rounded out the top five. So some interesting thoughts there as we head into Auto Club. The other one that kind of stuck in my head there, we talk about drivers that have done certain things. That leaves only winning the NASCAR Cup Series at Daytona for the Daytona 500. Uh, I think that would be a short list of only one if he were to do that when he moves to the Cup Series. Yes, indeed. I'll tell you what, I'm really impressed with that rookie, Parker Retzlaff, and what he's done uh, with the few races that he's been in in the NASCAR uh, Xfinity Series. He's done a great job. Okay. Uh, let's go to the Cup Series now. We've got a full half hour here to cover it, and uh, that, I'm hoping we can get it all in. Okay, the Pela Casino 600, I'm sorry, 400, uh, will be at Auto Club Speedway on Sunday, February the 26th, starting at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, and uh, Fox will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 400 miles over 200 laps. Stage 1 is 65 laps. Stage 2, also 65 laps, ends on lap 130. And the final stage is 170 laps, or is 70 laps, and that will end on lap 200. So uh, we move now to some notes here in the Xfinity Series, and there's quite a few. I'm sorry, in the Cup Series. Well, to start with, we got Alfonso Ribera is named the honorary pace car driver for the Pala Casino 400. The Auto Club Speedway announced this weekend that a veteran entertainer, Alfonso Ribera, will serve as the primary or as the honorary pace car driver for the Pala Casino 400. The final NASCAR Cup Series race on the famed two-mile oval on Sunday. Rivera serves host as ABC's longest-running show, America's Funniest Home Videos, and has worked alongside Tyra Banks to co-host Dancing with the Stars for its 31st season. And I'm just glad we're on radio, because otherwise I might try and do the Carlton dance, and we don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah, we don't. I don't think we want to see that, but that's okay. <laughs> Okay, now Michael Rooker is actually named the Grand Marshal for the Cup Series race. Rooker will serve as the Grand Marshal on Sunday at Auto Club Speedway. The actor is known for his role as Rowdy Burns in the Days of Thunder. He will bellow the famous command, Driver, start your engines. So uh, another uh, star that will be uh, showing up out there at Auto Club Speedway. Well, and a third one to talk about is the honorary starter, and that'll be Misty May Treanor. Auto Club has named the three-time Olympic gold medalist and California native Misty May Treanor as the honorary starter for the Pala Casino 400 on February 26th. A beach volleyball champion will wave the green flag ahead of the highly anticipated NASCAR Cup Series as a follow-up to the Daytona 500. Throughout her career, May Trianor 
amassed more than 100 championships and has competed in four Olympic Games. Her first was in Sydney in 2000. However, it wasn't until the 2004 Athens Games that she won her first Olympic gold medal uh, alongside teammate Kerry Walsh Jennings. From there, the, two, the duo uh, pair went on to win another gold medal in the 2008 Games and again in 2012, and becoming the most successful duo in the history of women's beach volleyball with 112 consecutive wins, <coughs> a record that still stands today, by the way. Okay, that's fantastic. Uh, I like that uh, lineup of stars. Okay, let's uh, talk about the rookies in the Cup Series now. Uh, this season's Rookie of the Year class jumped into the 23 season with both feet, and already this season looks as though it will be a close one. There's only two drivers on this list from Legacy Motor Club is Noah Gregson, who finished 24th, just ahead of his fellow rookie and Joe Gibbs Racing driver Ty Gibbs in 25th in the season-opening Daytona 500. And he earned the season's first Sunoco Rookie of the Race award. Now, Gibbs currently ranks higher in the Cup Series standings than Grayson due to his sixth-place finish in the first stage of the Daytona 500. Gibbs is ranked 23rd in the series standings, which with 17 points to Gregson's 25th place ranking with 13 points. Both rookies are making their Cup Series track debuts at Auto Club Speedway, but both drivers have competed at the two-mile track in the Xfinity Series. Now, Gibbs made his Xfinity Series Auto Club uh, debut last season, finishing 13th, and Gregson's made three Xfinity Series starts a best finish of runner-up, and again, that was just last season. So a lot to look forward to with these two drivers in the Cup Series. Most certainly, but one that's going to have, everybody's going to have their eyes on is Harvick as he is in his final season, but he's hitting a milestone, 750th consecutive NASCAR Cup Series start this weekend. Driving for Stuart Haas Racing, Kevin Harvick reached a career milestone making that 750th consecutive start at Auto Club Speedway, becoming just the third different driver to accomplish that feat. And right now, Kevin Harvick is ranked third on that NASCAR all-time consecutive start list behind only Jeff Gordon uh, with 797 consecutive starts from 1992 to 2015. And then I remember when this record, when Gordon broke it, Ricky Rudd had held it at 788 consecutive starts ranging from 1981 to 2005. Now, Harvick's streak of consecutive starts began on April 21, 2002, at Talladega Speedway, Super Speedway. Harvick has made 28 series career starts at Auto Club Speedways, posted one win coming in 2011, seven top fives, and 14 top tens. Among active drivers, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Martin Truex Jr. has the next longest active streak of consecutive starts in the NASCAR Cup Series. And he's behind Kevin Harvick with a 613, so that's a 100 less, 100 plus less. Yeah, that's quite a bit of a, a gap there. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, Californian Kyle Larson is returning to Auto Club Speedway to defend his race win just last season. Hailing from Elk Grove, California, Kyle Larson returns to his home state to defend his last season's Cup Series win 
at Auto Club Speedway in Montana, California, about 420 miles south of Larson's hometown. <coughs> Kyle Larson, and let me just take a quick drink here. All right. <laughs> I apologize for that. Kyle Larson is looking to become just the third different driver to win back-to-back victories at Auto Club Speedway. He joins Timmy Johnson, who did it in 2009 and 10, and Kyle Busch, who did it in 2013 and 14. Now, if Larson were to win this weekend, he can extend the Hendrick Motorsports all-time record for the most Cup Series wins at Auto Club Speedway to 13 victories. Larson is one of five Hendrick drivers to win at the track, uh, who and those five drivers represent those 12 victories. Jeff Gordon won there in 97, 99, and 2004. Kyle Busch in 2005. Jimmy Johnson in 2002, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 16. Alex Bowman won there in 2020 and Kyle Larson in 2022. Larson may has made eight career starts at Auto Club Speedway. He's posted one pole, two wins, and four top fives. His average finish at Montana is 13. So uh, will he do it again? We'll have to wait and see. Right now, though, we look at the Cup Series point standing, and after the first points race, Joey Logano went back on top, just like he ended 2022. Team Penske's Joey Logano finished the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season as the champion on top of the point standings, and following the season opener of 2023 at Daytona, the 32-year-old finds himself back atop the standings right where he left off. Now, following Daytona, Logano holds a two-point lead over RFK's racings, Roush Fenway Kozlowski racings, Chris Buescher in second. Logano, who finished a close second to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in the 2023 Daytona 500, earning 42 points on the day. But the Connecticut native also managed to win the duel he was in last weekend, and in doing so earned an additional 10 points to catapult him, catapult him to the top of the standings lead, heading into Auto Club Speedway. Logano will look to keep the early season success flowing this weekend at Auto Club Speedway, where he's made 15 career starts, has posted seven top fives and eight top ten finishes. He finished fifth in the NASCAR Cup Series Auto Club Speedway race last season. Okay. We can't leave without talking about Ricky Stenhouse Jr. earning infamy with the Daytona 500 win. Plus, he's already earned his trip to the playoffs. No bigger race to win than the Daytona 500, and JTG Doherty Racing's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. found this out firsthand last Sunday and the following days. Not only did Stenhouse grab his third victory of his career, snapping a 199-race winless streak, but also he secured his spot into the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, which will be his first appearance in the postseason since 2017. The Olive Branch, Mississippi native Stenhouse heads to Auto Club Speedway looking to become the sixth different driver to win the first two races of the NASCAR Cup Series season. Where have I heard that before? Uh, He could join 
Marvin Ponch, who did it in 1957 in Lancaster and Concord, Bob Wellborn in 1959 at Daytona, and he was also a champion, David Pearson in 1976 at Riverside and Daytona, Jeff Gordon in 1997, Daytona and Rockingham, and Matt Kenseth at Daytona and Auto Club. Stenhouse has made nine career starts at Auto Club, posting one top five, two top tens, and his average finish at the two-point-mile track is 17.5. Well, and going alongside that, the team owner, or team, JTG Daughtery, that Daytona 500 victory was big for the organization. JTG Daughtery Racing accomplished what few feats, uh, a few feats this past weekend at Daytona International Speedway. First owner, Brad Daughtery, became the first African-American car owner in the NASCAR Cup Series to win the Daytona 500. Secondly, JTG Daughtery Racing grabbed their second NASCAR Cup Series career victory with the Daytona 500 win last weekend, snapping what was a 482-race winless streak dating back to 2011 when the organization got its first victory with driver A.J. Allmendinger at Watkins Glen International. Now, with the win, they became the first single-car team to win the Daytona 500 since the Wood Brothers did it in 2011. And last but not least, uh, with the win to open the season, JTG Daughtery Racing has earned a spot in the NASCAR Cup Series owner playoffs, and it's just the second time the organization has qualified for the postseason. They did back in 2011 as well. Okay. It looks like we're going to finish this up in time, Jay, and I do have some uh, audio that we can play from Cole Custer uh, to fill up the gap here. Uh, Now, this could be the last chance to catch NASCAR at the two-point-mile Auto Club Speedway. With the announcement that this weekend's Pala Casino 400 uh, will be the last NASCAR Cup Series race on that uh, two-mile configuration. The anticipation for a spectacular final event is steadily growing. Planning continues for a proposed half-mile short track located on a portion of the Speedway's current property, but timing for commencement of that project remains uncertain, making this weekend that much more special. Now, this will be the 33rd time that the Cup Series has competed at the paved two-mile oval located in Fontana, California. The first NASCAR Cup Series race at Auto Club took place on June 22, 1997, and was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon driving the Hendrick Motorsports No. 24 Chevrolet. In total, 172 different drivers have competed in at least one NASCAR Cup Series race at the track, producing 21 different pole winners and 18 different race winners. Kurt Busch leads the series all-time in poles with four in 2015-7-6. He had a sweep. And Jimmy Johnson leads the series in wins with six, 2002-7-8-9-10-16. Five of the 21 Cup Series uh, pole winners are active this weekend, led by Denny Hamlin with three poles in 2009, 12, and 13. 
Austin Dillon has two in 16 and 19, and Kyle Larson uh, won there in 17, Martin Truex Jr. in 18, and Kyle Busch in 2005. Six of the 18 NASCAR Cup Series winners at Auto Club Speedway are active this weekend, led by Kyle Busch with four victories in 2005, 13, 14, and 19. Uh, all the rest of these drivers have one win, and that would include Alex Bowman in 2020, Martin Trex Jr. in 18, Kyle Larson in 17, Brad Keselowski in 15, and Kevin Harvick in 2011. All the Cup Series, NASCAR Cup Series on-track activities begin with practice and the Bush-like pole qualifying on Saturday, February 25th, and both events will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you want to catch that action, uh, be sure to mark that on your calendars. Now, I did mention that I do have some audio here. I wasn't sure if we were going to have time uh, to play it, but it turns out that we do. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, play this. It's actually a 13-minute segment. We'll probably only play about uh, maybe 8 to 10 minutes, uh, but it's from Cole Custer. He's in the Xfinity Series this season driving the double zero, the familiar double zero that he drove uh, when he drove in the Xfinity Series before from Stuart Haas Racing, and, of course, it will be a Ford. So let's listen to what Cole Custer had to say uh, in his media interview on Tuesday of this week. Okay, joining us here on our weekly Ford call is Cole Custer, driver of the number 00 Hostooling Ford Mustang in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Cole headed back to his home state of California where he's won two of the last three Xfinity races at Auto Club Speedway. And, Cole, let me just kick it off there. I mean, we don't get out to the West Coast a whole heck of a lot, so I know you look forward, especially at the beginning of the year, to be able to go back there and just kind of, I'm sure, see some family and friends. Just your thoughts going into Saturday's race. Yeah, I mean, I, I always look forward to Fontana. It's always been a good track to me. Obviously, we've won uh, two races there in the, in the Xfinity cars, so it's always been good to me. And it's always been one of my favorite tracks, um, just how you're able to – it's fast, it's wore out, you're slipping and sliding around. You're able – you have a lot of options as a driver, so you're able to figure out something uh, maybe better than, than the next guy, you know, and how to figure out how to get around him and everything. So um, it's always been a fun track for me, um, and coming back home, it means a ton, a ton too. Um, obviously, this year with the Xfinity cars, there's a little bit of a rule change, um, so we're kind of taking that in and trying to figure out what we need for this weekend. Um, but we've we've done a lot of digging. We've worked really hard on it, and uh, now we just got to see how, how everything um, how everything unfolds. Yep. All right, if you've got a question for Cole, raise your hand. Uh, I know I've got plenty of questions, but this isn't my time. This is your time. So uh, let's kick it off with John Newby. Go ahead, John. Thank you so much. Cole, I was mostly wondering how the first week went working alongside Riley and what that communication is like going forward towards Fontana. Yeah, it went really good, honestly. I mean, I think uh, – you know, this year, you know, working with Riley, it's been a lot of fun so far. I think we've worked very well together and communicated very well. We honestly have a pretty good atmosphere at the team right now, you know, where we're, we work as one group. We communicate a lot. Um, we're able to really kind of bounce ideas off each other. It's, it's one of the best 
uh, environments I think I've seen with that. You know, we're able to work together a lot. So, um, you know, we just got to keep digging throughout the year. You know, this is really the first race of the year where you're able to really see what everybody's got for the season because it's a, you know, it's a big, you know, racetrack where aerodynamics and handling and everything pretty much comes into play. So um, you find out a lot coming into this weekend. And we just got to adapt fast and uh, work as a team to make everything better and um, see what we have when we unload here. Perfect. Thank you. Well, I'm just curious, too, in terms of the team makeup, because obviously you added an Xfinity team from last year. So what's the makeup between the two teams, between you and Riley and just crew guys? I mean, do we have lots of experience? Did he keep his team? Just kind of what's that makeup like right now? Yeah, so, I mean, Riley's team is pretty much intact um, from last year with uh, Richard Boswell as a crew chief. Um, and then my team um, is, a, is a lot of new guys. It was actually uh, really good to go to Daytona, and we didn't have any problems. We had good speed. Um, you know, as a, as a new team and new guys all working together, you know, it's really nice to, you know, just have a smooth weekend and have things kind of work out good. And everybody worked together great. So uh, I have JT as my crew chief this year. So um, I really love JT. I mean, I've worked around him for a long time. He's been at Stuart Haas Racing and Haas CNC Racing before that. So I've known him since I was a little kid. Um, and he's just a no-ego, super laid-back guy, super easy to talk with. And uh, I think it's going to be really good for us this year just to work together and figure out how we can get some the speed that we need in the cars. So he's just like you, super laid back, easy going guy. You guys, <laughs> let's go to Mitchell Brewer. Hey, Mitchell. Hey, uh, thanks for your time today, Cole. Um, first question for you, with how the forecast looks for this weekend at Auto Club Speedway, how does that change your preparation for the weekend? Does that affect your mindset at all, knowing that Saturday kind of looks not so great weather-wise right now? Uh, the biggest thing about that is that, you know, you don't have any time to practice, you know, maybe, if we don't, with the rain. So you really got to put emphasis on your notes and look back on where we need to start, you know, setup-wise and make sure I'm, you know, as, as ready as I need to be just to make sure that I, I hit lap one as hard as I can. Um, but – it's, it makes it, you know, a little bit more nerve-wracking because you don't have that practice time to dial your car in. So um, with this new rule change, it's going to be a little bit of a, a little, you know, an educated guess, you know, with, uh, if we don't get any practice time. So it will be interesting for sure. And I was just curious, with this being one of your better tracks, what are your thoughts on the potential reconfiguration of Auto Club Speedway? Uh, I hate to see it. You know, I mean, it's it's been a good track for me, and I think it – it honestly has put on some of the best racing that we see in NASCAR um, the last, you know, five or six years. So um, I, I hate to see it maybe go, um, but obviously this weekend, you know, I think we kind of get a reminder of, um, you know, what difficulties it has with weepers and stuff like that. So hopefully we don't have to fight them too bad. But um, I think it's definitely it's one of the best tracks that we go to, so it's going to be hard to say goodbye. Thank you. All right, if you've got a question for Cole, raise your hand. Cole, what would you like to see? I mean, if, if they're going to get rid of that two-mile, is there a certain kind of track, a certain size? I know we've heard a lot of talk about a half-mile track. You know, what does that area need, in your opinion? Does it need, need a small track? Does it need a half-mile, quarter-mile, three-eighths of a mile? What do you think? Uh, you know, I mean, that's, everybody has a different opinion on that, you know, so it's hard to say. Um, but for me, I mean, I think, you know, they have some good short tracks around there. They have Irwindale. They have Kern County. Um, so they have some good short track uh, race, racers over there. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at some of the best racing that we, we put on, I mean, it's honestly this, 
the track it is right now. You know, it's wore out, it's fast, people are able to move around the whole racetrack, so it's exciting. Um, but, you know, it's really hard to make that kind of racing with the retave, so it usually takes about, you know, 10, 10 years or so for the pavement to wear out. Wear out. So it's, uh, it's hard to say. I think if you can go down the route of trying to get a mile and a half that has some character to it, though, that, that, that makes it a lot of fun where you can move around the track and run the wall and make something different happen. Got it. I see Claire B. Lang with her hand raised. Claire B., the floor is yours. Thank you. Let me ask you, my, my camera is giving me fits today, so I've, uh, I'm going to ask for a, a blank Claire Lang on the, uh, on the note there. But, but I do want to ask, Cole, moving into Xfinity and getting a solid top ten, you know, you kind of feel like a lot of pressure going into the start of the season, and you think, okay, that's done. How much pressure did you put on yourself, and how much easier do you feel about heading to Auto Club where you finished so well? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of expectations this year. You know, we want to go out there and run good and compete for wins every single race. So um, there's definitely, you know, we thought about just about everything, you know, going to Daytona, making sure we have, had everything checked and everything going right. So um, it was nice to hit the track and have a solid weekend and have nothing go wrong um, and have good speed in the car. Um, and obviously Daytona, it's a little bit of a, uh, you got to have a little bit of luck on your side. Um, you know, sometimes you don't get the finish that you want, but I feel like we had a, a solid weekend and now we just got to, you know, keep that going into Fontana. And I think we have a good group that um, really wants to work together and really wants to, um, you know, just communicate extremely well. And I think, you know, if we can do that and just make sure that we um, get everything checked and cross all the T's and dot all the I's for the weekends, I think we'll have a lot of shots to uh, win races. And I Okay, uh, that was Cole Custer in the Xfinity Series. Uh, they had some good questions there, Jay. What are your thoughts about uh, what Cole Custer had to say? Well, there were two big things I took uh, took away from them, one being the teammates that kind of touched on that. But the thing I kind of want to focus on is talking about this being the last, right now scheduled to be the last race on the two-mile configuration at Auto Club. Uh, when we think back to Atlanta, drivers and fans alike both kind of campaigned and kept getting that push. Sounded like Cole Custer was trying to start that movement of, hey, this right now is the best racing we've seen on this two mile. And he's right. Uh, and I know as fans, it's tough to go through that. And, I, and I'm thinking back to, um, I didn't remember it was that far back, but 1997 when the, the first race there. They were some tough races to watch. A uh, new track, you've got a ton of grip. Everybody sticks to the bottom. Gets to be what you call one lane, tough to pass. Um, but with that, it's got to take time to develop. And I know, Sharon, you and I both agree, as of recent, it has been one of the raciest tracks that we've seen. Uh, same as Chicagoland, but it takes that time. So you can go to, if you go to a short track, which I'm excited about, I'm, I, I like short tracks, you know, that provides the immediate bump and bang action. But to get to good racing on a bigger track, you got to weather the storm, literally, of working the track in. So, like I said, it almost kind of sounded like he was saying, hey, can we think this through and hold on to it, you know, for maybe another year or two. Yeah, I kind of trust his comments, though, because Cole Custer grew up in that area. Uh, and and to hear his comments on that, I think, is, is really, really good because he has some insight that, uh, people like you and I, who who did not grow up in that area, 
are, are not as familiar with. He's right that there are two other short track tracks in that area when you think about Irwindale Speedway and Kern County Raceway. Those are short tracks. So short track racing is available in the area. Uh, to put a third short track uh, in that area, uh, it makes me wonder if it's going to take away from those two uh, other facilities, and I hope that it doesn't. Uh, but I wish they would keep it, uh, you know, a bigger track rather than going smaller uh, because it does give them an option, a different type of track. So maybe there's something that you and I don't know, uh, but when somebody from the area uh, advocates for that, it, it's got to make you wonder. I also liked his conversation about uh, working with Riley Earps. Those guys have have uh, driven together uh, throughout the ages, if you will, uh, and uh, it's really good to kind of see that combination of two uh, West Coast area drivers uh, that are racing together at Stuart Haas Racing. I think that's going to be fantastic. And think about it, Kevin Harvick came from Bakersfield, so he's another driver that comes from that California area. Yeah, it's certainly interesting to think about. And then you got into the other part that I took from that. Like you said, you talked about teammate with Riley Herbs. Um, I know they've run a, a second car for Stuart Haas Racing, but they've never, I don't believe in their history, fielded two full-time teams like what they have now. And when we look at it from the Cup Series, we know Ryan Priest was given the opportunity, Cole Custer moved from the Cup Series to the Xfinity Series, um, but there's a lot of positive things that can happen, and it's not just about Cole Custer, because it is about, A, the organization. Maybe we see them maintain two full-time teams going down the road, depending on how this works out, their finances and all that. But also then that developing of, with Riley Herbst, who we've seen has talent, uh, just hasn't seemed to really been able to break through and become a top-level driver, uh, winning every other week or on a regular basis. So having a veteran white coal custer there and bouncing off of each other, I think really could benefit him as well. Um, I know when we've talked about it, it's all, it's all been about Cole Custer, and he probably will move back to the Cup Series next year. We, we don't have any guarantee on that, but just looking at the positives of what it can bring about, not just for Cole Custer, but Riley Herbst and the organization. Okay, and as we transition to hot topics, one of the things that we talked about last Monday in Hot Topics was the importance of practice. And now we have a situation coming up here this weekend at Auto Club Speedway with some heavy weather coming into the area, and it doesn't look like they're going to get that practice. So he also highlighted uh, how important the practice is to shake down that car. You're right, and, and there is one of the reasons you're hearing drivers talk about it uh, and I don't know exactly what the the change you mentioned there. I'm trying to think on the Xfinity Series side, but any little change is enough to they want track time with it to get, to understand it and develop it. And they're they're top drivers. They got the talent. If they have to do it without practice, they'll work their way through it. But the racing product come up race day is better if they have practice and can make it even better. So it'll be interesting. I know. Uh, I think you had put it up. I know. I think it even said possibly snow. <laughs> Um, yes, that in some areas we are looking already, at some issues. Yeah, yeah, I saw in some areas they were already experiencing some snowfall, which is highly unusual for for that California area. 
Okay, now joining us, uh, it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion, and uh, we'll have a couple of our Fanfrick Racing crew members uh, joining us here momentarily. That will include Andy Lasky, as well as, I believe, Tommy Kraft will be calling into the show here tonight. Now, uh, I hope they notice the time change for this. Uh, but in the meantime, while we're waiting for them to show up, Jay, do you want to go over our fantasy uh, group at Fanfare Racing and give us an update there? Are you prepared to do that? Certainly. Not. Yep, okay. uh, and pull that up real quick. Um, obviously, for the trucks in the Xfinity, uh, we only got one race in so far, but uh, one race counts, and whoops, and it'll pull up the points, not the picks. Um, for the truck series, James is one that started off with the victory there, picking up the nine points. So he goes to the top of our truck series standings. Um, let's see down the line. Then it was Sam, Andy, uh, was Tommy, Sharon. I'll find my name eventually. There I am. I'm next. And then Owen, Mike, and Brian. Again, being Daytona, uh, luck of the draw, I guess. I know everybody I talked to got on picks because talking about using a dartboard. <laughs> now, on the Xfinity side, and Mike wanted him, he got him, picked Austin Hill, and it paid off. Uh, picked up the nine points there. I had to take a second-place finish to him with seven. Sharon, you were third there. Then James, Owen, Andy, Brian, and Sam, and Tommy. Uh, Tommy's going to be on tonight. I'll get to him in a minute. On the cup side, there it's a little bit different. Uh, they weren't points races, but we scored for the clash as well as the two duels, uh, total points like uh, everything else. So coming out of Daytona, it's Brian that's on top at 24, but James right there nipping at him the whole way at 22. I'm at 19, 17 for Sam, 16 for Owen. And it spread, uh, I'm sorry, Andy also has 16. Then we drop down to 13 for Mike. Sharon, you have 10. And Tommy, 8. And overall, uh, this is interesting already, it ranges 36 points overall for James, 29 for myself. Brian is 26. Andy and Sam, 25. Mike, 23. Owen, 22. Sharon, 20. And Tommy's off to a rough start. He's got 13. Okay. Well, I think I'm not too far ahead of Tommy. <laughs> my, uh, my, I did okay in Xfinity, but that was it. But we do have our fan racing crew here now, and joining us uh, is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's uh, going well, and we're glad to have you back. And also joining us for the first time for this season is Tommy Kraft. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Hey, how are y'all? Glad to be back. Uh, glad the season started, and happy to be on here. Okay, well, we're happy to have you as well. All right, uh, we're ready to get into our uh, Hot Topic Sound Off segment, and uh, let's go ahead and start with you, Tommy. Uh, what's our first Hot Topic for tonight? Uh, well, let's go with... Um... Let's go with the uh, Daytona race and uh, discussing the green-white checker flags. Okay, and I think I'm going to do very similar to what I did Monday night. I'm just going to kind of um, 
facilitate, and I'll let you guys do all the talking. So, Andy, you go ahead and go first. Yeah, that's a good topic for sure. Um, you know, I've seen some some criticism this week, you know, about whether or not that the, the green-white checker rule should be in place. Of course, you know, this rule was implemented years ago because people complained about races finishing under yellow. So now people are complaining, apparently, about the, the mayhem that has ensued. But it's not always the case. I think that, you know, we, we see this be a common theme for the Daytona 500 just because of the significance of the race and just how hard drivers are pushing to try to win that race at the end. And I think that lends itself to these incidents that happen with only about a lap or two to go. Um, you know, and this isn't the first time we've seen this in the last few years. In fact, with the exception of maybe one or two 500s, uh, the last several have been pretty chaotic in the closing laps and have lent themselves to green-white checker finishes. So um, my personal opinion is I don't really mind it. I mean, you hate to see destroyed race cars all the time, but I I, I like the fact that um, NASCAR gives multiple attempts to finish the race under green, Um but I do like the fact that they have implemented a bit of a limit in that if you do take the white flag and there is a caution, that's the end of it. So, because otherwise you could you, you could race all night <laughs> if uh, the race had to end under green flag conditions, which I believe the ARCA series does do. Um, I don't know if I have a problem with the rule. I, I think that it, it does a pretty good job. And, you know, yeah, there were, you know, I think two or three attempts at a green-white checker and there was a lot of carnage and mayhem, but... You know, it's the Daytona 500. You kind of have to expect that because of the significance of the race and, and just how hard everyone's pushing to win it. But um, I don't mind the rules that are in place. I think they're okay, and I think they do their job on a much uh, calmer scale most of the time. All right. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? Well, Sharon, I know you're struggling with your voice yet again tonight. I do hope you weigh in a little bit here because I, I really am interested on in your thoughts on this, but – I'm with Andy, uh, and he said it with a chuckle. They changed this rule because fans were screaming about it. Oh, they're finishing under yellow. I don't like that. They should let them finish under green. They did change it. And as Andy noted, they modified it. Uh, if they take the white, then if the yellow comes out, um, they will call it and freeze it uh, as they're running in immediate position when they hit the button. And I think that's a good balance. Uh, you know, some of this has to be put on the drivers. You know, if if you're going to wreck, you're going to wreck. That's your choice. But we are going to try to finish it under green and let y'all race for it. So I think NASCAR did a good job with this. Um, Understand, it seems to me like it's a matter of of my driver didn't get the benefit of it um, when it comes down to it. And I know they kept comparing back to 1998. Uh, I think it was Kyle Busch, the one that made the comment as he was leading when the restart happened. Um, with two to go that had that been Earnhardt in 1998, the race would be over, he'd be the winner. Uh, We're not there anymore. And it was based on, like I said, what the fans wanted. And being around, especially around dirt tracks uh, as well in the local racing community, as a whole, that's what fans want, is to see the green flag finish. Um, You know, sometimes we run into time limits uh, that we just have to throw the checkered, and that upsets fans. But again, then it goes back to the drivers. If you can't complete a lap or two without wrecking each other, well, that's on you. (laughs) Yeah, I will kind of join in here and and comment on this particular hot topic. Um, 
it's be careful what you ask for because fans were saying that it was dangerous before uh, not having the green-white checkered flag, uh, and now NASCAR's implemented it, and they're still not happy. So I'm hearing things like uh, you'll see harder, cleaner racing in the last 15 laps more than ever. Well, we were not seeing harder, cleaner racing. (laughs) We were seeing dangerous racing, and that's why NASCAR implemented the rule. So I, I, uh, I think people just have short memory spans when it comes to this. And uh, I think the green-white checkered was put in place for a reason, and I think it needs to stay. And that's all I'm going to say about it. So, Tommy, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. Yeah, so I thought the Daytona 500 was a it was a pretty good race. Um, and the only negatives that I saw on Twitter and what people were talking about were the commercials, and the uh, the green white checkered and how the like 500 always ends under a caution now. But I mean, <clears throat> I remember when. Well, let's just say my ideal perfect Daytona 500 is the way Kevin Harvick beat Mark Martin back in 06 or 07. I think that was my favorite 500 growing up, and it ended with him beating a photo finish and the wreck going on behind them. And I feel like that's the recipe that NASCAR needs is guys are crossing the finish line, photo finish, while a multi-car pileups behind them. That's <laughs> That's been like the, the finishes and all the crazy stuff that fans want to see and stuff like that. And we do get those sprinkled in every five to ten years. So, um, but the green-white checkers, I mean, it, I get what fans are saying that, they used to race back to the line, and that would determine who would win, but then people said that was unsafe. So they did away with it, and then they had – I remember at one point, too, there was the the white flag, and if you got to the, like, back straightaway or something like that, whoever was in the lead, if a caution came out, would win. Then they did away with that, and they did the overtime, green-white checkers, and then wasn't there a limited attempt at one point? I mean, it's been changed all the time. Uh, I'm fine with them looking into it again. I mean, it does kind of stink that the Daytona 500 ends under caution like every other year now, except we did see Cindric win last year in a photo finish. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it was still a great race. I mean, it's the Daytona 500, and I'm just glad NASCAR is back, and I'm a fan regardless of what they change and what they don't change. But... um. I don't think they're ever going to go back to racing, back to racing to the to the line when the yellow comes out because of safety precautions. So, I guess we're just going to have to deal with a a wreck fest at the end and hope for a photo finish. Hope they complete that one last lap and have a photo finish without a wreck. Okay, Andy, your follow up. Uh, nothing to really add here. I think everyone you know, echoes the same thoughts, and they're all really good points. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Well, I I think, uh, Tommy, they're brought in some good things. If some of the modifications they did go through, I believe initially when they started, it was just uh, three overtime chances no matter what. Um, Then they they went to what they called the, I'm trying to think of the proper term, but alternative 
uh, start finish line, like he said on the on the back stretch of if they completed over half of that last lap. Uh, I really was not in favor of that because um, you couldn't even really see. And again, it's there's people I know. I saw this one on I believe Twitter of ones that say they pay to sit at the start finish line on the front stretch for a reason. Um, you took that away from them, so I didn't like that. They they took away and did away with that. I think right now they do have a good balance in the way they do it. You give the drivers the option. It may provide the fans with that green flag finished or it may not. But I'm not opposed to them if they look at it and find another tweak that they can modify it. I'm not saying don't touch it, but I do think it's at a really good balance the way it is right now. I think fans, like I said, are just the wind blows and they go with it um, based on whether or not their driver got got the finish they thought they wanted or thought they should or whatever. Um, I didn't. I don't see a whole lot of drivers complaining about the way it is now, saying it's un, anymore or less unsafe because uh, we know that it can get to be a, a wreck fest in this case. But they're aware of that, and they're again they're in control of it. Um, I felt like at Daytona, they did everybody from the leader uh, all the way back through about sixth or seventh, made sure they didn't make a move until they got the white flag, knowing that was their one chance. Because if they make it and it doesn't work, caution's going to come out. So I think they did get that one lap in to get to the white flag and then knew it was time to make their move uh, for that reason. Okay. Tommy, you get the last word. Um, so I knew that last caution was going to happen to there at the end because I saw Travis Pastrano was in the top, top ten. And I had noticed like the whole race that, Nobody was helping drafting with him because he's inexperienced. And sure enough, somebody shoved him in the back, and he was the one that got loose and got in the arse. And um, I kind of I just forced all that happening just because of the lack of experience. But I don't the green white checkered. I'm like Jay. I'm fine with the rule, but if you want to tweak it, I'm all for that. I mean, um, it's the biggest race of the year, and it's going to kind of. I feel like next year maybe the 500 will be like the uh, Bud shootout that Eric Jones won. He won that, and that car was taped all up and torn all up and everything. Um, or is that a Gatorade duel? I don't remember. But either way, it's still the Daytona 500. It's still a great race. It never disappoints. Even when they get rain delayed, they're, they're still great because then they end at night usually. Okay, Andy, that leads up to you to tell us what our next hot topic is. Yeah, I don't know if we we talked about this one on earlier shows or not, but uh, with regards to the SRX series, uh, going through a bit of a change this year uh, for the last two seasons in which they previously ran on Saturday nights on the CBS network, they moved to Thursday nights now uh, with new broadcast partner ESPN. Curious what you all think about that. Okay. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I think there's a couple of different things to look at here, so I'll try and split it into into the two rounds. First off, it's kind of curious the fact that CBS is the one that came on board with them um, and then has gone away after the, what, two seasons. Uh, I like ESPN. I know... Andy and Mike and I were talking about it. We'd really like to see Speed TV come back, a fully auto sports dedicated channel, but we don't have that. So got to let that go. Um, 
I don't know where that comes into play as to why CBS didn't. The fact of moving it to Thursday nights, I think, is what I want to cover the second time around. But um, I think ESPN will do a great job. The broadcasting, uh, Mike's not here tonight, so I know that's one. I just don't put a whole lot of focus on. I know they talk about the different broadcasters they come in, and I understand it can make a difference, but I'm there to watch the racing, and I think the racing is delivered. So uh, any issues I have kind of get slid to the side when it comes to that. I don't put the focus on that. But I think uh, give them the chance, build it. The Thursday night thing I do think is a good thing, and it goes back to through history of um, Thursday Night Thunder. Uh, that's where Jeff Gordon made his name and became uh, a household name, if you will. So I think there's something to that. Okay, Tom, your thoughts? Uh, I'm glad to see ESPN get back involved with um, some form of motorsports other than like F1 or IndyCar, even if they do they run any of those. But um, I think it's exciting to see. Uh, um, to me, ESPN, you know, the Sports Center and all the shows that they do, they're like uh, one of the most watched channels, and you know, to have racing on there, it's just. I think it's great, and I would love to see it come back. And to me, the commentators do make a difference because I miss Alan Bestwick, uh, and just iconic voice, and just just miss him. And he's with SRX, and I hope that he's in the ESPN booth with them. Um, yeah, and I think it's really cool that they changed it to Thursday during the week uh, versus Saturday. But I mean, that might that might hurt a little bit too because. Most people are working during the week and uh, won't have as many people at the at the track as you would Saturday on if you do it on Thursday. So, um, you know, interesting to see there. But I, I think it's awesome that ESPN is getting back involved. And maybe this goes well and they get back involved for some reasons with NASCAR. Yeah, I just wish it wasn't on Thursday night when we're doing our radio show. <laughs> so... That's all I'm going to say. Andy, what are your thoughts? Well, I've got a a few mixed emotions about this because I felt like the previous product on CBS on Saturday nights was was a really good thing. Um, It was in a bit of its own time slot and didn't really interfere with other racing events throughout the weekend. Um, And I thought CBS did a really good job you know, they had been out of motorsports for quite some time. And to me, their broadcast was just fresh. I felt like um, Alan Bestwick, in my mind, is one of the best play-by-play guys that's ever done this. So to have him back and some other veterans like Matt Yoakum um, and some others, just they did a really good job. Um, so I don't really know what the broadcast team is going to be like this year on ESPN. I'm not sure that that's been announced yet. Um, obviously ESPN has extensive experience with motorsports. I'm sure they'll do a good job, but um, I liked what we had, you know? So for me, it's a little bittersweet, I guess. Um, With regards to the day of the week uh, from Saturday to Thursday, um, I'll be curious to see what that's going to be like, but midweek is good. I, I think that it gives us a chance to watch something before, you know, the rest of the racing weekend unfolds and, also, as we've already seen with driver announcements, it's really opened up uh, the ability for a lot of big-name cup drivers to join this year. Uh, I think Brad Kozlowski, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, 
uh, Clint Boyer and some others are going to run some SRX races this year, and that's not something we saw a lot of in the past because of the scheduled conflicts with the existing NASCAR weekends. And so I, I do look forward to this season. I think it's a fantastic series. And, um, you know, hopefully these changes will uh, further enhance the product and uh, give us something to look forward to. Okay, Jay. Well, Andy kind of stole some of the thunder I had there. Um, coming from the other side, I know you, you, him and Tommy are both kind of saying they like the Saturday night, the CBS. I think the moving it to Thursday night, and Andy mentioned it with specifically Brad Keselowski, it does interfere with other things, especially your grassroots local short track racing. I myself, uh, Sharon, I hadn't even thought about it, that, that it puts it on Thursday against us here on Fan for Racing, but... For me, that's where the issue came in on Saturday because I was at a local dirt track. So I think it does open that up. Now, as far as the fans coming in, then that could be hit or miss. I, again, fans have been kind of pushing for midweek racing at the cup level. So I think at your venues that have a limited amount anyway, your majority of the crowd is going to come from within a certain range that it's not a bad deal. People are willing to go out on Thursday night, even if they got to be sluggish come Friday morning or take the day off, whatever they choose to do. But I think it can work. And I know there is one track in Minnesota that runs on Thursday nights, um, and they do okay with it. So that's where I think that comes in. There are several things in play, not just from that of, and I think that might be with where CBS maybe didn't want to give up their Thursday night programming or slot for a race uh, versus on Saturday. That might be why ESPN ended up coming in. I don't know that. I, that's just a thought. Um, but I think it wor will work pretty good. And like I said, to me, it's kind of the throwback. Uh, going back to ESPN, uh, a sports covering channel, as well as uh, what I recall the Thursday Night Thunder where we had the legends from Charlotte um, sprint car racing with Jeff Gordon when he was coming in through the sprint car ranks. So, for me, it's kind of a throwback to that. And I do think, as Andy mentioned, it's going to open up the window for other drivers to participate based on the fact of they're not available due to previous obligations on a Saturday or on a weekend. Okay, Andy, you get the final word here. Yeah, really, you know, to reiterate what's already been said, I, I do like that the midweek races. Um, it just gives us something to, to to watch before we get into the the, the meat and potatoes of the race weekend, if you will. So, um, you know, and it'll be prime time like it's always been. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I do think that, you know, SRX isn't afraid to, to change things and, and try new things to make its product even better. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, sometimes change is a good thing. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that any of these changes will be bad by any means. Oh, okay. Thank you, Andy. Jay, it's your turn to give us our next hot topic. Well, I threw this one up at the end. We've talked about it throughout the show here, and I don't know what, when Andy and um, Tommy came on, if they caught Cole Custer's interview, kind of alluded to it. The reconfiguration of Auto Club, and they're looking to put a short track in. But we know no matter what, they're going to be off the schedule for 2024 at a minimum. What track fills in to that spot, uh, especially if they're on the West Coast swing? So kind of looking towards California, but 
I heard it on Sirius XM radio the other day as a driving topic and some of the thoughts thrown out there, and I kind of wanted to have our own within fan for racing here. Tommy, your thoughts? Rockingham or North Wilkesboro. I mean, why not? I mean, they're, they still got Vegas and Phoenix to go to out there and Sonoma. So maybe just do all three of those races over there in the West Coast and – that opens up the date for like Rockingham or because uh, I mean, why not go to Daytona and then turn around and go to Rockingham the next week and then because they they're repaving it but you know North Wilkesboro they're going to do the All Star race so why not go back there next year maybe that's the second race I mean I guess we'll see how North Wilkesboro does and if maybe if North Wilkesboro does well for the All Star race which it probably will for the first race back there. Um, wonder how, if it does well, maybe they'll consider Rockingham. But I would consider those two tracks. And my way out there guess, if there is one, um, I don't think you can leave out Chicagoland. And then Colorado has Pikes Peak. Um, there was a track out there in, like, Oregon or Portland or something that the Xfinity race at last year it was a road course. Um so there's definitely options out there that they could go to for sure in the West Coast, but I feel like Rockingham or North Wilkesboro, just maybe that's just because I'm down here on the East Coast while I'm thinking those tracks. Okay, Andy, what are your thoughts? Well, I like where Tommy's head's at because from a nostalgic standpoint, Rockingham and North Wilkesboro would be pretty awesome to see, especially um, I – you know, never got to see them race at North Wilkesboro. So that I'm certainly looking forward to the all-star race this year, but Rockingham goes back to when I started watching uh, the sport the first few years. So it'd be kind of cool to see that happen. Um, so that would be my wishful thinking certainly. But I think when you look at, you know, the direction that the sport is headed by trying bold new ideas, um, I could see a street course happening. In fact, there's been talk about the possibility of a New York street course in the coming years, um, obviously NASCAR put together the Chicago street course last year to be run this season, which means they could develop a similar plan this year to be run next year. I, I do hope that the short track gets built at auto club speedway. I think that, um, a West coast short track has been missing from the schedule for a very long time. Um, notwithstanding Phoenix, Phoenix is kind of a hybrid of a short track and an intermediate. So, uh, but as far as a true short track is concerned, I think that that's certainly been missing from the West Coast. So I really look forward to seeing that come to fruition out at Auto Club Speedway. And I, I want to see them continue to go to that venue uh, for years to come. Um, you know, but I think as far as something in the interim, you know, you might see like a street course or something something new possibly come along the horizon. Um Again, you know, North Wilkesboro, Rockingham, awesome ideas. I'd love to see that. Uh, but you could also see something uh, completely different, too, and um, kind of a mystery for sure. Okay. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? God, do I really have to say this? I miss Mike. Uh, I know Mike and I have discussed this, but uh, the top answer on SiriusXM when they had it as the, the radio topic, again, staying on the West Coast, uh, Tommy threw out Colorado, Pikes Peak, and I know they held Xfinity races there. That one I think I had heard a couple. 
But the major one they talked about, if it could be done with this next-gen car and the handling on the track, is Laguna Seca. Uh, and I'm really intrigued by that. And I know it's one of those that they say that a stock car can't handle. Um, but we've seen them try. They're going to try the street course. They're gonna, they tried Coda, which uh, that was the same thing was said there, and they made it work. So I'd be kind of interested if they would look at that. Obviously, Tommy's starting us off there as a, as a North Carolina native now. And a historic uh, viewpoint, we read it tonight when we were reading the stats. It used to be Daytona, Rockingham. Um, if that were to come back that way, it certainly would be um, before they start the full West Coast swing. And with that, you're right, there's an option, and, and we've seen it with NASCAR. They're, they're willing to change up the schedule completely. So we could see that where it is a, an East Coast race, and then, th- then they start the West Coast swing and not make it a track out there. Yo, Cole Custer mentioned when we were comparing short tracks, Kern County and Irwindale. I don't know if they'd be able to equip those for a cup-level race. That's the issue you run into when you, when you do that. Um, but those are also possibilities. But me personally, I kind of would like to see him try Laguna Seca, especially if it is for one or two years, try it and see what happens. Um, Maybe send some cars out there, obviously, to test on it and see how they handle and handle the – it's not called the hairpin corner. I can't think of the term on that track. Of, that one has a specific name. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But uh, I was surprised nobody here came up with that one. But I say I missed Mike because I know that was one him and I have talked about. Nobody tell Mike I missed him, okay? Well, Jay, I think you just generated a new hot topic in that you missed Mike. <laughs> that would be a hot topic. Okay, uh, Tommy, you, your follow-up? Well, I'm also, the reason why I'm thinking North Wilkesboro and Rockingham is because they're talking about reconfiguring Auto Club into a um, short track. Uh, but this this just came to mind. If they don't do the L.A. Coliseum Bush Clash, why not do the Daytona 500 and then do – they were talking about making the Bush Clash a point race. Make that the second race, and then you can do your West Coast swing. Because to me, it feels like they're just trying to look for a short track right after the 500. Because if they were going to refigure Auto Club, and that's going to be the second race, and they were going to make that a short track, then there's Rockingham, there's North Wilkesboro, there's the Coliseum – Richmond, Martinsville, Bristol. I mean, those are all the short tracks. Uh, I don't know if Darlington's considered one, but smaller tracks, I guess. So, and I just threw Pikes Peak and the Portland Road Course and all those out there because of the West Coast scenario. But who knows what NASCAR's going to do? Like Andy said, it's a mystery. And the, the street course in New York. If the Chicago, I assume they're probably going to see how the Chicago street course goes first before they do the one in New York. You could do a street course in Vegas. Uh, I mean, Denver, there's so many options out there. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Well, I guess to cap this off, you know, it's it's a bit of a bittersweet moment for me to, to see the Auto Club Speedway uh, go away from the form as we know it, which is the the worn out two mile oval. Um, I feel like in recent times it's put on some really good racing. Um, those old worn out surfaces with high tire wear, in my opinion, provide some of the best racing that we can see. 
um, on a weekly basis. And, um, you know, Auto Club has, has done a good job, I think, at, at putting on a big pro- or a good product. So I'm I'm kind of disappointed to see this be the last one, um, you know. But at the same time, with an eye on the future, certainly a short track coming to the West Coast is going to be um, pretty cool, um, something that's been missing. I, I don't count the L.A. Coliseum just because that's its own unique thing specific to the Bush Clash, um, kind of more with an eye towards uh, points-paying races. I think that a true short track has been missing on the West Coast. So I, I do look forward to that. But, you know, certainly, um, you know, a lot to be thankful for with the current um, configuration of Auto Club Speedway, which has been around since 1997, and uh, it's put on some, some good races over the years, so it's uh, going to be kind of tough to, to see this be the last one. All right, Jay, you get the last word here. Well, I'm going to make Sharon possibly smile on this one. As I mentioned, if they're looking at West Coast, Laguna Seca would be my thought to uh, attempt it. If we're going to go with the short track to prepare everybody for that of the Auto Club short track, uh, make it a transition race of the Midwest, and that would be either Iowa Speedway, which I don't think would take a whole lot to host a cup race. The other one would be Memphis. I, I know they've run trucks and the Xfinity there, and I greatly miss that when I used to get to go to that twice a year. Uh, again, I don't know about getting a cup race in there, but I think Iowa Speedway, especially if we're talking uh, one, maybe two years while they get the auto club ready, give Iowa Speedway their chance. Uh, They never got it. Uh, We felt like they were so close a couple of times, but never got it. So I think that would be an opportunity maybe to see, test the water. They got to have a a race to fill in that spot, give them that option, see how it goes. And maybe that puts them higher on the list or back on the list to get a cup race down the road. Yeah. I am going to add another thought here. I think that when they're thinking about this, they need to think about Florida or California because of the weather in February. In February, Iowa Speedway, the very best you can probably uh, anticipate at Iowa in February would be 50s, and this is kind of an off year where we're having a few 50-day, 50 50-degree 50 weather days. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, same thing with Memphis and some of these other locations. Um most of the time in February, you're talking about maybe 30-degree 30, 30 weather uh, in February. So that might discourage fans from actually coming out to the track if the weather is a little bit cooler. I think they need to look at warmer weather areas uh, for whatever that replacement track is. And that's all that I'm really going to add there. Um, but, uh, Tommy, we're back to you for the next hot topic. Okay, let's go with, um, let's see here. I'm sorry, I got a thought one. Uh, let's see. Let's just go with the, uh, let's go with uh, the weather for this weekend. How this possibly going to snow and rain at Auto Club? Okay, Andy, your thoughts about that? We did talk about that a little bit on the earlier part of the show um, because that's definitely going to impact practice, if not more. What are your thoughts? 
Well, thankfully, I don't think they're going to get snow, but nonetheless, it doesn't look very warm and it doesn't look very dry. Um, I was looking at that actually earlier in the week. I always usually pull up the the upcoming race weekend city on my phone to check the weather, and I saw a bunch of rain for the weekend. So that's disappointing, especially given that this is, you know, the last um, race on this, this oval. Um, you know, you, you kind of had hoped that, it would go out on a good note. And unfortunately it looks like mother nature uh, has different plans. Um, Hopefully they can get the races in possibly on Sunday, but yeah, Friday, Saturday uh, don't look good. And Saturday was to be a busy day with practice qualifying and the Xfinity series event. So um, hopefully that changes and hopefully the forecast is wrong, but yeah, it looks like it it could be a tough one. And, you know, anytime weather's, going to be a significant problem it's always frustrating for sure and and hopefully they can at least find some time to get the races run on sunday okay jay your thoughts well this ties in there as sharon kind of rained on my parade of iowa speedway but did so with some very valid (laughs) points i hadn't thought about uh you're right iowa speedway there is the second race weather-wise probably not going to be a good thing However, tying it into California, it's not a guarantee that there either. Uh, we've seen it in the past. And this also kind of ties into the previous topic of the reconfiguration of Auto Club. Uh, Andy talked about missing the racing it is on the two-mile configuration. I think Cole Custer uh, mentioned it a little bit as well as uh, somewhere else I heard. If it does rain, the two-mile configuration with the worn-out track lends itself towards weepers. So it's not just about getting the rain, it's how long it takes to get it back to raceable conditions without having some safety issues when it comes to uh, weepers on the track. So that is one of the things they're looking at that leads to the the reconfiguration of it as well. Uh, I'm with you guys. Uh, We've got to hope for the best. Uh, Mother Nature does what Mother Nature does and wants to, and we just got to deal with it. I know NASCAR does a great job of a, trying to get the track dry, keep it at race condition as best they can. I'm sure they already have a couple of contingency plans um, as they look at it of, you know, we've seen double headers uh, on Sunday, uh, setting up for a Monday race if need be. Uh, you know, it does hurt the teams and, and the everything else, but, you know, they're, they're already planning ahead to try and be best prepared as they can. So uh, we just got to hope for the best, I guess. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts. Yeah, it kind of stinks that if this is the the last race with this configured auto club uh, speedway that it's going to rain or snow all weekend. But um, maybe if it does at least rain everything out on Saturday, then Sunday can just be a full day of nothing but racing with Xfinity and Cup back-to-back. So that that would be a positive. And... um, it just just thinks that the weather's not looking good for the the second week of you know racing because I'm I'm glad it's back and you know rain delays stink because uh, you know I got to work on Monday so I won't be able to watch the race all and be able to basically see highlights but that'll be okay um, maybe it'll be highlights of the photo finish or you know uh, a multi car pileup or something if if it is raced on Monday and I don't get to see it on Sunday but I'm liking. 
I'm not liking the idea that it can rain or snow and ruin the, you know, the last race at Auto Club uh, of this configuration, possibly for at least a year or two. But like I said, maybe we'll have a double header on Sunday, which would be, which would be awesome. Okay, uh, Andy, your follow up. <clears throat> yeah, no, just. You know, it's um, it's bittersweet to see this be the last race on this configuration, certainly. Um, but, um, again, looking forward to the short track, you know, whenever that comes. And um, hopefully that'll give Auto Club Speedway something uh, to look forward to and, and to be a part of the schedule for many years to come. Okay. Uh, Jay? Yeah, I appreciate it, Tommy. They're trying to put in that positive spin. If nothing else, it is an all-day race on Sunday, possibly. So, uh, again, we'll have to wait and see. You know, we've seen it where they forecast something, it doesn't happen. We've seen it where it's not forecasted and it happens. So, I just uh, appreciate NASCAR. Like I said, they're already aware of it. I think Sharon had tweeted it was Bob Pockers that had put up the weather report and kind of what some of the preliminary thoughts or plans were. And that's what I, I, I like that as well. Like I said, NASCAR is already looking at what they can do in the event of. So uh, appreciate that. And again, that goes back to our previous topic. Uh, when you talk about, well, let's just race here. There's more to it than just saying we're going to race here. You know, travel, logistics, everything. As Sharon pointed out when I suggested Iowa, the weather there is a lot less promising. So that's why they're in charge of making that schedule and not me. <laughs> Okay, Tommy, you get the final word. Well, I forgot to include this track earlier, so i got to throw it in there now, but Nashville Fairgrounds would be the other short track that I left out earlier. But, yeah, um, hopefully it doesn't rain, but if it does rain, then I'm hoping that Sunday's a doubleheader. Then we just watch racing all day, especially since football's now gone. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to say I hope it doesn't go to Sunday because my brother can come over and watch the uh, Saturday race of the Xfinity Series, and he's got a Bradley game he wants to watch on uh, su- Sunday. I guess it's the championship uh, ball game, and I just, I just uh, will miss having my brother with me on race day. So I hope I hope they can get it in on Saturday. All right, uh, Andy, it's your turn. Well, this one goes back to uh, a rule that was announced during the off season. Um, but the move that Ross Chastain made at Martinsville last fall, um, in which he rode the walls through three and four to make that um, hail melon move, as it was called, uh, to make his way into the final four, that's been banned. Uh, from future youth in NASCAR, certainly um, something I think we've all got. I know Jay's got a pretty strong opinion on that, as do I. So curious what what everybody thinks about that one. All right, Jay. Uh, since you've got a strong opinion, you're you get to comment on this first. Yeah, this is one. I guess I didn't realize we hadn't hit on the actual hot topics. I know Andy, Mike, and I uh, had a discussion, and I think we all had strong opinions on it. Uh, within the group chat when it came out. Um, and it, it really is they redefine the rule. The rule is technically there. A driver isn't supposed to do anything unsafe 
um, over over you know to, to put themselves in a position to win or whatever. It was highlighted by the move that uh, Ross Chastain made. The rule itself, I understand they're looking at it from the safety perspective of a the driver doing it, b the other drivers it might affect, and c the fans scrubbing up against the wall, causing things to go into the fans uh, like that. I don't know that they even necessarily had to highlight it. Again, it was already a rule, maybe not as clearly defined or have that specific incident to say, hey, don't do that. But I also don't know that they necessarily needed to. We heard Ross Chastain say, I wouldn't do it again. You know, it was one of those of just the right moment at the right time, and it worked. I mean, all of those things. So, but I understand NASCAR's position. The issue I have with it, and I understand that was mid-season, um, that they don't want to make a rule change during the middle of, of the year or going into the final couple of races, because it was very specifically talked about at Phoenix. But again, I don't even think it would work at Phoenix just because the configuration is different, just not there. But I feel like NASCAR, if it were truly a safety thing, and I go back to the racing under the yellow Back to the yellow flag. Uh, it was at New Hampshire, I believe, with Dale Jarrett. Spun around, sitting backwards in the track. They were racing back to the yellow. Dale Jarrett almost get hot, got hit. There was a safety factor. They made the rule change the next week, then and there. If this really were such a safety issue, they would have stopped it and said, hey, don't do that again, right then and there. But because of the popularity and attention it brought, I feel like NASCAR kind of wanted to ride that, take all that in, and then later we'll subtly say, hey, we won't allow that no more. Real quietly, like, yeah, we made a rule against that. I, I don't, again, I, I'm supporting NASCAR, but I think this is one of those where they wanted their cake and eat it too. They took in all that popularity and the attention it got and brought in new fans and all this, but then quietly made a rule against it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tommy. That's exactly what I was thinking. This was a huge popular move. I mean, people were going there to take pictures of it. It was number one on Sports Center, and now it's banned. <laughs> and it, I think Joey and Denny got their wish because, oh, no, it was Kyle Larson and Joey that said it. When Chastain made that move last year, they went up to Larson and Logano and said, what are your thoughts? And they were like, oh, that should be banned. That shouldn't be allowed and all this other stuff. And, I mean, it stinks. It was an exciting moment and number one on Sports Center and you know, maybe it was just the one time highlight thing that we'll see because now it's it's gone, but yeah, it is what it is. I mean, I can understand it being a safety rule. I mean they, even Chastain said he wouldn't do it again. He said it wasn't worth it, that it hurt and I mean I bet he was going like really fast and basically just nailing the wall was the only thing keeping him from from crashing. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It was crazy to see and um, awesome at the same time and kind of stinks to see that it's illegal now or banned, but it probably is the right call. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I tend to agree uh, with what Jay and Tommy have said. I'm I'm disappointed to see that this has been banned. Um, like what's already been said, this move was immensely popular when it came out. It brought a lot of attention to the sport. Um, it 
generated new interest in the sport. It got people watching the following week that wouldn't normally watch auto racing. So, you know, it, it really generated a lot of excitement around NASCAR. And then all of a sudden, a few months later, you can't do it. Um, and I, you know, kind of had a strong opinion about it in our amongst ourselves. But, you know, I, I think that a lot of this decision stems from, um, you know, the fact that some of these drivers didn't come up with the idea themselves or didn't think to do it themselves. And they were upset that it wasn't them that did it. In fact, you know, I think Hamlin was one of the vocal ones about it. And he's the one that got beat out by Ross Chastain uh, for making the final four, you know, coming to the checkered flag. So, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, a couple of three big name drivers get to be vocal and, and probably have an influence. And I'm assuming that, but, you know, there were a couple of three big name drivers who were vocal against the move. And, you know, I, you have to think that, you know, sometimes the the opinions of those who are, you know, big names in the sport have some kind of impact with NASCAR's decision-making. And again, that's, that's me speculating, but I, I do think that, um, you know, the, the negative opinions from some of Chastain's fellow competitors probably had an impact on NASCAR's decision-making, but it's unfortunate when something cool like that gets taken away. I thought it was a neat move. And, and to Ross's point, you know, he wouldn't do it again. And I don't think that's a move that would work in most circumstances at most tracks. It probably only works at a place like Martinsville. Um, and it only works in this, in this certain circumstances in which, you know, Ross did it on, on the final lap coming to the checkered flag. I, I don't think you'd see that kind of move consistently. Um, you know, so the fact that it's banned is just kind of disappointing because now we'll never, or at least not intentionally see it again. So uh, it's just disappointing. You know, I, I kind of I hate when they take the wind out of our sails like that sometimes. But um, hey, at least we got to see him do it last fall. It was it was cool while it lasted, and uh, I guess it'll be on the highlight reels for years to come. But yeah, I just ultimately find it disappointing that you know something like that gets uh, made into a rule. Okay, Jay. Well, I will represent Mike here since he's not here because when we talked about it, we go back to uh, Carl Edwards versus Jimmy Johnson, I believe, at Kansas. I mean, just drove it in as deep as he could and let it slide up the track. He was either going to win the race or hit the wall. He hit the wall. Um, I think Mike is the one that pointed it out. Name a race winner, and it's specifically being that Kyle Larson was one of those vocal ones Andy was talking about. Name a race winner at Darlington that hasn't run the wall up there at Darlington. It works there, and it's part of racing. The deal at Martinsville, and and let me go back to one of the other vocal ones, Joy Logano. It came out that next week. Uh, Todd Gordon, his crew chief at the time, talked about it um, on his regular visit to Sirius XM Radio. Him and Joey had talked about it before and had a plan, a semi-plan, if you will. Joey didn't have the, we'll say, guts to pull it off. So, and the fact when Ross Chastain did, he didn't talk about it, he did it, but he was aware the outside lane, being Martinsville, everybody's fighting for the bottom. The outside lane was going to be open, and we saw that. He needed six positions in order to qualify for the playoffs. There was a huge game to go with that risk you're not going to see somebody do it just to gain one or two positions unless it's absolutely needed. 
So that scenario was just the absolute perfect storm. Everything fell into place. It wasn't like you were going to see somebody go out and do it on lap five or every week, you know, trying to get that win. It just, that scenario isn't there every time. So that's why I don't think NASCAR necessarily had to put out a rule of this saying you absolutely cannot do it. And like I said, Mike brought up, what winner at Darlington hasn't done it? Why is it acceptable there? Now, I do understand, and I don't remember who brought it up, specifically if you look at, say, Bristol, another short track where, again, the higher lane is generally available um, at, at the end of a race when everybody's trying to fight and hold position on the bottom. You have the crossover gate. Uh, it's not as prevalent as it was when I think it was Michael Walter, I know is one that wrecked there. We've seen a couple, and there is one at Martinsville. And that was addressed in, in back at Ross Chastain's, Chastain's mind. Um, but, it, again, that, that risk versus the reward was definitely worth it. He made the final four. So I just don't like the fact that NASCAR is restricting it and taking away that option. Because, like I said, I don't see anybody going, oh, I'm going to do this next week just because. You know, there has to be that perfect scenario of, and it's worth what you're doing. Okay, Tommy, your follow-up? Uh, I also kind of find it funny that Kyle Larson was one of the vocal ones against it because he was one of the ones – I actually saw him do it before Chastain did it because he did it at Darlington trying to beat Denny Hamlin, and he actually ended up maybe bumping Denny Hamlin at the finish line, but Denny Hamlin still won that race. And then, like, Kyle Larson got close, but, like, got to, like, his rear back bumper, and I think he touched it as Denny was going across the line. So it was close, but – and it's also funny that then Chastain turns around and knocks Hamlin out of the playoffs with the moves. I mean, for Chastain, it's kind of legendary. He invented a move, and then it immediately got retired, and he's going to be the only one to ever do it. But – um and I agree with you, Jay, too. Joey didn't have the guts because I remember Joey saying that too. Like, oh, we had discussed it but then decided against it. I was just not a big Joey fan, but that's just me personally. Um, but um, I hate to see it go because it did generate a lot of interest in, in NASCAR and it was number one on Sports Center. But Chastain himself said that he wouldn't do it again because of the way it, it felt. So, and we've all seen the Michael Waltrip and Mike Harmon accident from what happened at Bristol. So, probably is a good move to ban it. But unfortunate that we'll never get to see something like that again. Andy, you get the last word. Yeah, I don't really have much to add on this one. Just. Um... You know, disappointed to see this uh, go away and be banned in the future. But, you know, again, pretty cool to see it that one time. And, um, you know, it is what it is. Okay. Uh, Well, we've hit uh, five hot topics here tonight. Uh, uh, Do you guys want to go on or shall we wrap it up here? I don't see any other Um, uh, pressing ones. I know we had a couple of... uh, other ones listed, but uh, we can cover it next week if we want to hit to if we don't get any more in place of them. Okay, then let's go ahead and do our roundtable. And uh, Tommy, we'll start with you for the roundtable. We'll go to Jay and then Andy. All right, follow me on Twitter. I think uh, I haven't given it out such a long time. I think it's Tommy C25 or Tommy underscore C25. Give me a follow. Take a look at my diecast and uh 
Thanks for having me back. I'm glad to be back on. Glad to be talking about NASCAR again. Okay, Jay. Yeah, you can follow me, uh, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram, Michael Hoosman on Facebook, and we're a couple of weeks, uh, barring weather, uh, be back at the local dirt tracks. I know we got ones coming March 4th at Why Not Motorsports Park, uh, the House of Hook, and for Battle of the States, Columbus Speedway, I think, is also running March 4th, the baddest boring in the South. Again, barring that R word uh, that we've been talking about, so, well, hopefully that holds off and... Be back at short track soon. All right, Tommy. I mean, Andy. <laughs> uh, yeah, CB14 fan on Twitter. And uh, as always, good to be on the show tonight. Always look forward to Hot Topics. And um, to Tommy's point, I always enjoy seeing the die cast you put up every day. A lot of those cars uh, bring me back to the early 2000s and some uh, – Good memories there, so uh, always look forward to that, and uh, once again, good to be on the show tonight. Well, I've enjoyed uh, having all of you on the show here tonight, so thank you for being here. And, Jay, I appreciate uh, we've done the first three shows of the year together here. Sal should be back next Monday night uh, for our review of the races at Auto Club Speedway. And then Jay and I, well, maybe it'll be Jay and I. It might be Andy and I. We'll be back next Thursday night uh, for the preview show of uh, the upcoming races. So uh, thank you to you guys uh, for being flexible. We really appreciate it. And uh, uh, thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in as well. Uh, We appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, I think we'll just call that a wrap, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to everybody on the other side of the weekend. Well, Sharon, uh, we want want to shout out to you here. We appreciate you grinding it out. You take a couple days and rest up, uh, hopefully get better. I know you said it's still kind of hanging on you, but uh, get rid of that cold. Yeah, I I can't wait to get rid of this thing. (laughs) So thank you, Jay. Okay, everybody, enjoy your race weekend. Good night.